help my voice to say your words and give us all ears to hear the words you want us to hear. Amen. Okay. So, fiat, advent, allowing God to quietly grow within us. That so far sounds great, right? But Houselander points out that this is going to cause some hardships, two hardships in particular. The first one is the hardship of understanding. Understanding that the world is pretty broken and we're pretty broken too. Uh, understanding that so much of what we hear from the world isn't the truth. It, that's very uncomfortable, <laughs> right? And um, we, we, we like to be hospitable ourselves, we like to make people comfortable, and we'd like to think that the world has good intentions and wants to make us comfortable too. But that's just not true. Uh, so, but that can be very hard to accept. And uh, I think some of us, um, especially those of us who have had the kind of random luck to be cool, right? Um, I think it's particularly hard for those people to, to recognize that a lot of the cool stuff is pretty broken, right? Um, I finally got to the point at 57 where I think it's an asset to not be cool because I'm much, I am less, much less tempted to try to fit into that, right? Not that I ever could, right? So that's one thing, is that understanding, um, the understanding that comes with Jesus' uh, presence causes us to be much less comfortable in the world, and that, that can be very um, distressing. The other hardship that comes with understanding is being misunderstood. Because we're different when, when Jesus is really with us. And a lot of people won't understand that. And it, it'll make some of them very uncomfortable. And then we have to figure out, well, what do I do about that? And our temptation, especially when we're convinced that somebody has misjudged us, right? It's not just that they're kind of puzzled. They are actually misjudging what is happening to us. Our temptation, and this is a big temptation for me, is to explain ourselves, right? I will now cause you to understand. <laughs> what I have understood, and then you will no longer misunderstand me, right? And then it doesn't work. Right? Okay. So, Houselander knows this about us, and she says this is part of what Mary is modeling for us. Because who was possibly more misunderstood than Mary when Joseph found out that she was pregnant? Right? And he used really a very reasonable judgment, right, that my betrothed has been unfaithful to me, and what should I do about that, right? 
So he misjudged the situation, but none of us can blame him for that, right? Okay, so what did Mary do? Now, if, it, if I were Mary, right, I'd be pounding on Joseph's door and saying, don't you know what has happened to me? How dare you, right, misjudge me in this way, right? I, I would be explaining all over the place. That is clearly not what Mary does. She does not explain. So, Houselander says, the story of Joseph's bewilderment when he realized that his future wife was going to have a baby is well known. And it is well known, too, that Our Lady did not explain. Her example here teaches us wisdom. When misunderstandings arise because of Christ conceived in us, there is little gained by trying to explain. At that time, the Advent time, right, when he's growing within us, his voice is silent in us. It is simply our own heartbeat. Love is more effective than, than words. The only thing to do is to go on loving, to be patient, to suffer the misunderstanding. That is very hard for me to hear, right? I don't want to suffer misunderstanding, right? It is my job to elucidate the situation, right? The only thing one can do is to go on loving, to be patient, to suffer the misunderstanding. Explanations, even of what can be explained, seldom heal. And there is so much that cannot be explained. Even the presence of Christ in us does not do away with our own clumsiness, blindness, stupidity, Indeed, sometimes because of our limitations, his light is a blinding light to us. And we become, for a time, even more dense than before. We shall still be irritable. Still make mistakes. And still very likely be unaware of how exasperating we are. Never forget that. Maybe a tiny bit my problem, right? That this person has misjudged me, right? <clears throat> Explanations, words at this stage may only wound, but love will be a bridge over which at last, in God's time, we shall cross to a better understanding. It will have to be the love of humility. That is, love informed by humility long-suffering, patient, and humorous. If we realize that we are a little absurd, such love will come more easily. We must try to be like Our Lady, to make as little, as fu a little fuss as she did about being the mother of Christ. Okay, I read that whole thing because that's the part I really need to hear. Um, I had this experience pretty vividly here just a couple weeks ago talking about gender confusion. And the point of that talk was to explain to people who are Catholic why it, it just doesn't make any sense given our vision of the human person and of God <clears throat> to think that um, it's really true 
objectively that someone has a man's mind trapped in a woman's body or a woman's mind trapped in a man's body. That people definitely are having that experience and it's, it's a terrible suffering, but we, we can't think that the answer is to somehow fix their body to, to, to meet their mind. Okay. In explanations of why we have that kind of conviction, that's useful for people who already believe and who just want to be better equipped to respond to, um, you know, do you think I should do this, right? That's where explanation is actually helpful. But there were, there were some people present at the talk who are actually suffering the situation, and that did not help them. Right? That just kind of made them feel more like, well, you just, you just don't get it. Okay? And uh, that kind of uh, is humbling for me, right? That I don't have the capacity to explain things in such a way that they become obvious to everyone who needs to hear them. Right? Well, why should I? just this very finite, limited person, right? Why, why would I ever do anything that was completely effective? Right, but it's good to see. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna make a difference to people first by loving them, right? And, and really, I mean, the worst, the, the worst part of the current situation is that the temptation is for that person to look at me and see a hater. Right? And then there's nothing to be done. Okay. So uh, I try <laughs> to, to, to seem like a, a lover. Um, and then we, but we have to accept that other people are in different places and they may not see our love as love. And that's okay, right? I, I often tell the seminarians that they, they may, in their lives, um, speak to people who just reject what they say, and their job is to be really nice to those people, really respectful, so that if someday something happens in that person's life that causes them to think, oh gosh, wait a minute, maybe I'm wrong about this, they'll remember, oh, there was that kind of wacko Catholic guy, and he had ideas about this, and you know, but he was very nice. I feel like I could talk to him about this, right? I tell him that's your job, is, is to, to leave them with the impression of somebody that they might like to talk to again, right? Okay. We have to let go of the things that we can't explain to people or that they can't understand yet, right? We, we, we have to let go being anxious about that. And we have to trust that by loving them, we remain ready to be God's instrument if he needs us to do something to help illuminate this person. But maybe he won't need us, right? Maybe we already did the little piece of the work that the Holy Spirit had for us. So we don't have to have this pressure of looking in every situation for what does the Holy Spirit want me to do or say here, right? Just attentive, attentive, and always in a loving way, right? 
the, the Holy Spirit almost never wants us to scold anybody, right? Unless maybe they're our own kid and they're, you know, under eight. Okay. So emptiness, fiat, advent, and then seeking. Allowing Jesus to grow in us and then beginning to look outside for Jesus. Where else are you, Lord? Right? Or where do you want to go with me? Right? Seeking. That cycle of emptying, fiat, advent, seeking is a repeated process. Right? Mary went through it once. Her seeking, Houselander thinks, is in uh, when, when Jesus was lost in the temple, right? And she and Joseph looked for, uh, for him for three days, right? Houselander's like, what is up with that, right? Why would Jesus do that to Mary, right? Let her think that he's in the caravan somewhere else, then suddenly realize Jesus is not anywhere here, right? Do any of you have that dream? where the person you're responsible for suddenly disappears and you're, you're looking for them, right? I, I have that dream. That is a terrifying dream. And she lived it, right? So all the way back to Jerusalem, going, where, where could he be? What's going on, right? What do you mean you thought he was with me, right? <laughs> right? Uh, why would you think that, right? So just imagine how stressful that was. And then to find Jesus and Jesus being so kind of nonchalant about it, right? Well, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, right? And we'd, we'd be like, well, didn't you know I was worried out of my mind, right? <laughs> Right? Why, why would Jesus do that? Houselander thinks it's because God wants to give us the example of what it is like to have Jesus and really have him and lose him and have to go looking. Because we're all going to have that experience. A lot of us have had it more than once. And it's scary. Right? So, in a, in a sense, to prepare us for that and to make Mary, right, the one that we can imitate, he gives her that experience. It's for our sake that this happens to Mary. It can be very frustrating, right? God, I've been doing all this stuff. I've really been cultivating this. I've, I've given up several of my activities because I realized that they were just really becoming distractions and that was part of what I needed to empty, right? And it was going, it was going great. And now, all of a sudden, I just feel like you're not here. Okay? Go look. Go look. Right? We have to trust that God loves us and that he loves all the people entrusted to us, right? Our customers, our students, our dorm mates, right? All those people. God loves all those people. And every one of those people, even the cranky ones, are his favorite. 
right? They have to do things to earn our affection, but they don't have to do anything to earn his. They already have it. He's, they're already the favorite. And they can't do anything to lose it, right? No matter what a jerk they are, right? They're still his favorite. And so am I. But we have to really believe that, right? And if we do, then when we lose the vividness of, of the sense of Jesus in us, then we can go out and find him again, right? And, and kind of re, recall him, <laughs> right? Have a new advent, right? And we'll go through it again and again and again. This is very difficult for Americans. We like to make progress, right? Okay, that's why it's so hard for us to just keep doing the dishes over and over again. The damn dishes are never done. Right? That is very difficult for Americans. Right? So we'd, we'd much rather make a machine to take care of it or hire somebody to take care of that mundane stuff. Okay? But that is the spiritual life. Emptying. Oh, Lord, how did, how did that get cluttered in there? Right? Fiat. I do want to be filled with what you want me to be filled with. Advent. Here you come. Right? And then either with Jesus, or if I feel like I've lost him somehow, seeking. Right? To see where, where, where else Jesus is. What else he might want me to do. Or what else he might want to surprise me with. Right? Console me with. So much of our seeking of Jesus and others is just then a tremendous gift to us. Right? That person who smiles at you in the grocery store. What is she up to? Right? But then realizing, no, that's, that's a gift. Wow, there's another human being right here in aisle three. Right? Who actually noticed me. It's, it, that's amazing. Right? That's a great gift. Um, from God through that person to me. And it would be nice <laughs> if I could respond, right? And not just kind of freak out. What are you up to? Why are you smiling at me, right? No, thank you. Here's my smile. We have to trust that God loves us in this way. And in a lot of ways, even more difficultly, we have to trust that God loves the people entrusted to us in this way. A lot of us have gotten over our control freakitude about ourselves, right? Okay, I'm going to be kind of like this. All right, I will make the most of that. But a lot of us still are way too control freakish about the people who are entrusted to us, especially our own children. Right? This is, what, this is what life is going to look like, young man. Right? And do we really trust that God loves our children, loves our students, loves our patients, loves our clients more than we do? Right? And that the most we are called to do is to be instruments of that love. It takes a lot of the pressure off. 
the hardest thing for me to wrap my brain around when we got Rachel's diagnosis was just how dependent she was always going to be. And I was significantly older than she. So for a big part of her dependent life, I wasn't going to be there to protect her. That was really hard. And I kept imagining, right? Have, have any of you seen, it's kind of a horrible movie. It's called Jacob's Ladder. Don't, don't, don't go see it. But if any of you have, that's, that's the image that I have in my mind. And it's these, it's, you know, these poor soldiers who got caught up in a, an experiment, right, to try to weaponize them, right? And then they're, they're in these uh, psychiatric hospitals, right? Yeah, terrible stuff. And, and, you know, they're strapped to gurneys, and it's not very clean, and people just roll them around and stuff. I kept picturing her there. It was horrible. It was just horrible. Right? But at some point, kind of the, the 20 years before that uh, started to trickle into my fearful brain, and I realized none of this is coming as a surprise to God. He knew about the difficulties she was going to have before she was conceived. And he consented to her, right? He said, I want this one. He wanted her deliberately into being, knowing this about her, right? Wow. He wants her here. <laughs> and I've come to see that there's very good reason for that. She's an incredible minister for him, right? She's got this little grocery store ministry, right? She no longer fits at the, in the cart. We, we kept putting her in the front of the cart for a long time just to restrain her. And she had a wonderful ministry from there because you'd, you'd come down aisle three and there would be Rachel and she would say, big hug, right? And we got to see, right? <laughs> Who was ready for the big hug? <laughs> And who just kind of ha ha turned around and went the other way, right? <laughs> Decided we don't really need canned vegetables. Yeah. Very funny to see. But people who hadn't been hugged in years, right, got a hug from Rachel. My husband talks about coming into the front of the store and, uh, and he was just, he just had gotten Rachel into the cart, and this elderly woman came in looking really sour, you know, and so all, all of us ladies, this is our goal is to never be this person, right, but, right, and she just looked so mad, right, and like, like, she should have an umbrella to be whacking people with, right, that's really what she looked like, and she comes up to get her cart, and Rachel looks at her and says, big hug, she doesn't care what you look like, right? She doesn't care what the expression on your face is. You're just a human being. And my husband was like, oh, right? Because, you know, this is an umbrella-whacking person, right? What will happen? <laughs> but he had learned enough to just watch. And this woman first looked over her shoulder to see who Rachel could mean and then realized it was herself and my husband said her face completely changed. 
and she just didn't look sour anymore. And she just kind of very slowly walked into Rachel's embrace and hugged her back. That's quite a ministry, right? And that may be the one thing, right, that, that uh, God wanted to do through her. Yeah. So anyway, why am I talking about that? Because it takes a lot of trust to see someone you care about who is vulnerable and to know that you cannot control everything about what's going to happen to them, right? And to allow your anxiety to be allayed by the conviction that God loves this person and nothing can possibly happen to them that is too terrible, right? Although some very bad things could happen, right? The fear of that doesn't go away. But Hauslander herself, back in World War II, raising this, challenges people. Do we have more confidence that money will protect us, that money will take care of us, than we do that God will? Do we have more confidence that our children's happiness will be satisfied by money, right? Are we so concerned about that, right? What, what do you mean you're going to study philosophy, right? What kind of a living are you going to make doing that, right? Are we so concerned about the, their material well-being that it really gets in the way of seeing them as beloved children of God, right? I think that's a real, a real question. Are we willing to accept that the people entrusted to us will inevitably suffer? There's a really cool picture over there that has uh, Mary holding the infant Jesus, and then kind of behind it, um, an image of the Pieta, Mary holding the dead Jesus. Right? It's easy for us to really enjoy the baby, but... Can we accept the, the corpse? But this is part of the advent, right? The trust that Jesus transforms suffering, but he doesn't take it away, right? A God-filled life is not a sorrow-proof life. It just isn't. The promise is not to take away suffering, but to transform it. So, um, if we look at your little pamphlet, they put a few images in here that I, I find um, profitable to reflect on. So on page two, you see that image of Jesus on the cross and uh, Mary Magdalene at the foot of the cross, right? Just wanting to be as close to him in his suffering as possible. That's really beautiful. But the part I want to call your attention to is Mary and his, the beloved disciple John, right? The other big John in the story. And Jesus is speaking to Mary and we know what he's saying to her, right? 
John 19, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, woman, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. Jesus invites John to see himself as Jesus, right? He's saying to, to, to John, right, I want you to be a son to my mother, right? He wants John to see Mary as his own mother. And in that act, he invites all of us to, like John, see ourselves as like Jesus and to see Mary as our own mother just as Jesus' father, God the Father, is our father. Right? That's an idea that we don't want to limit to reflecting on one time a year. And that's what we need to cultivate in ourselves, to trust right? <laughs> that we're not just being led down the garden path. And I think what people realize who've, who've had some experience right, in the spiritual life is that once we get used to, okay, I'm going to need to empty and then I'm going to need to consent, and then there'll be Advent, and then I'll be in a position to, to seek, and hopefully I'll get to take Jesus with me on this seeking, right? <laughs> and it'll just be me and Jesus looking for, right? Who else do we want to love here, Jesus? But sometimes it'll be me having lost Jesus, right? Needing to go out. But we can be confident, right? that none of this is meaningless. And even the feeling of the dry, right, is, is really just a preparation for the next rainy season, right? We have to cultivate that confidence. And people who are experienced tell us, right, that they start to see just little gifts all over the place that are clearly meant to reassure them, right? That random person who said that random thing that really was just what I needed to hear, right? That person who actually let me in to the lane, right? All those kinds of things, if, if we have the eyes to see, are really those, those moments of reassurance. It's okay. It's okay, right? And, you know, we don't want to get greedy and, and turn everything into, ooh, that was a little present from Jesus, da, 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 right? I mean, we don't want to be silly about it. But we also don't want to be um, inattentive to it, right? You know, I mean, when you, when you kind of do something nice for somebody in your family, right? I, I cleaned off your bedside table. I dusted it. I put all the loose change in one place, Right? You didn't even notice, right? Okay, that, God feels like that a lot, right? I, I did this little thing, and you didn't even notice, okay? So the next time 
you do this and you're irritated because they didn't notice, right? Okay, God, what have I been missing, right? Take the beam out of my eye, right? Okay, because there's a lot of dust on that person, right? Okay. All right. Um, is it okay if we break with music now? Okay. Two minutes early, one minute early. <laughs> 